Hello, everybody. My name is Craig Hendry, back today with another Hard Money with Craig episode. Today is part two to the last episode that I made. In the last episode, I finished by explaining how demand from consumers is as heard by producers, and that's heard in the form of higher prices. Uh, the producers notice the higher prices and it incentivizes them to produce more. Likewise, if the demand is too little, the price drops off. This de-incentivizes producers to produce as much steel as they once were because they can't get as much of it sold or they can't get a, a, a high enough profit for what they can get sold. So they drop off production. I thought it was important to understand this, uh, these mechanisms, these market mechanisms, because that is how resources throughout history have proven to have been ef most effectively allocated. This is not what has been going on today, especially not in the United States. Our country's recent blunders are large in scale and destructive in nature. From the PPP loans to the anti-productive regulations imposed since the pandemic has supposedly become a crisis. Everything that the government has done in an attempt to help our welfare and economy has done the exact opposite. I will not attempt to outline the hurt the government has dealt to the average American family in terms of emotional health and general health of relationships both private and professional. I will, however, talk about the economic damage that has been dealt to us. In episode one, I made the claim that our country had been suffering from policies like these for the past 65 to 70 years. And don't get me wrong when I say that our country has been suffering from bad policy for over a 100 years now. But these policies in particular didn't become very prominent until the 60s. Uh, so yeah, there's that. But now I'm going to talk about more recent. You know, we're not going to go too far back in history, maybe in another episode. But you know, we're going to talk about what's happened recently. So Mr. Trump inherited a stock market bubble that had been inflated by the Federal Reserve's money printing or QE programs and the Fed's low interest rate. I mean, that those are all contributing factors to this bubble in the capital markets. And this bubble was representative of the misallocation of resources. I guess I should say it is a representative of the misallocation of resources. And you know, a lot of people may ask, well, how do you know it's a bubble? You know, how do you know uh, resources have been misallocated? And, you know, I've got two examples for you, and I've got three examples, as a matter of fact. We'll, we'll get to the third one later on in the episode. But the first two that I'll point out is the crash in 2008, the stock market crash in 2008, when GM went broke because they were spending more money than they were making, right? They were, uh, they were squandering resources, and because they were squandering resources, they went broke, right? And uh, so that should have happened, right? Because you can't you can't have companies that are squandering resources. Right? The whole idea of a business is is that your final product costs more for the consumer than it costs you to put that final product together. Right? That is how 
resources can be sustainably allocated. Because if you run out of resources, yeah, if 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 it's taking more resources to put it together than what you're getting in return for it, you're going to run out of resources. I mean, that's just common sense. Okay, so, but when this happens, Chevy was supposed to go broke, right? The stock was supposed to go to zero. Instead, that didn't happen, right? The government gave Chevy money, they printed up money, and it allowed uh, GM to continue misallocating resources. Now, this boosted their stock market uh, price back up, and people continuously allocated or continuously allocated capital towards these companies. And the reason why is because they knew the government won't let them fail. It wasn't because these companies are going to take their capital and allocate it in such a manner that they make a profit and are able to share that with their shareholders. That's not the thinking at all. The thinking is, well, you know, no matter what happens, the government's going to print up money for these companies because this isn't capitalism. Of course, the same thing happened in 2012 with the subprime mortgage market. The government was not uh, obligated to cover all of this, all these ridiculous loans that individuals had made to uh, to many individuals on, with subprime mortgages. Uh, it was the most asinine investment that you could ever come up with. And the federal or the Federal Reserve and the federal government, they took these terrible investments in which capital had been misallocated so, uh, you know, just so badly. And they backed it up. They said, yeah, look, these investments failed, you know, because they were bad investments and they were squandering resources. But that's no, you know, that's nothing to stop us. We're going to continue that. We're going to reinflate the housing bubble. We're going to continuously, uh, or we're going to see to it that resources are continuously misallocated in this particular fashion. And that is something, that is two examples of the government reinflating or inflating stock market bubbles uh, in the past and them leading to crashes for sure. And of course, the healthy option is always to let the market crash because that is the marketplace weeding out the badly invested capital, the capital that has been invested in companies that they could never hope to get a profitable return on it because the demand simply isn't there in the marketplace or simply they're squandering the resources. They aren't doing uh, their work efficiently enough. Okay, so we've got the 2008-2012 fiascos kind of covered and explained. Those were bubbles and then the the government uh, reinflated those bubbles And uh, so, but let's go on. In 2018, late 2018, two years into Trump's term in office, Jerome Powell started to raise interest rates, which, had he continued, would have made people rethink long-term investments and reallocate those resources into assets that would satisfy market demands in the short run. In other words, they would be taking resources formerly squandered because they have no current market demand for them or for how they're being allocated. And it shifts those resources to areas that people are showing real demand for, uh, in the real, or in real time, in the here and now, which when sustained, right, when that demand is sustained, it makes us as a society more wealthy in the form of more consumer goods being available to a broader consumer base, right? Not in the future. Those resources are being 
Those resources are being squandered, right? Especially if the investment is going to fail before they ever come to fruition. But if we invest those resources in something that people in the marketplace are buying in the here and now, then there's more of the things that people are buying in the here and now for people to have. That makes us more wealthy as a society. It gives us more to consume as a society, which makes resources more available to a larger audience of consumers. And if the demand for these resources that we need in the here and now, if that demand be sustained, we will be sustainably more wealthy. (laughs) This is how free markets make societies advance. This is how free markets economically advance the most poor people in the society. Now remember, all of this is what would have happened if Jerome Powell, chair of the Fed, had raised rates or had continued to raise rates as he started to do in late 2018. Instead, he did the opposite. The air was coming out of the bubble. The stock market was coming down. This is all after he started to raise interest rates and the capital, right? The resources started to get reallocated. And uh, Trump ordered Powell, and keep in mind, Powell is the chair of an independent governmental body. He's not supposed to answer to anybody. He's not supposed to answer to the president of the United States even. right? But, but Trump, nonetheless, ordered Powell to lower interest rates. Powell obliged and has complied with whatever the White House orders him to do right? ever since. These actions saw to it that the stock market got reinflated to even higher levels in 2018, and the phony bull run continued into 2020. In March 2020, the stock market crashed again, this time assisted by another culprit besides quantitative easing and low interest rates, and that was COVID-19. Now, Keep in mind, COVID was just an accessory to this stock market uh, attack that we suffered here in the U.S., but quantitative easing and uh, low interest rates, they were the real instigators of this stock market crash. Absent those two uh, culprits, the real culprits, COVID-19 would have been really insignificant uh, to our economy, but nonetheless, the Trump administration sprung into action. Almost overnight, we had massive socialist spending plans and Soviet-style restrictions placed on businesses and individuals. This created an environment overnight through which people uh, largely stopped going to work and producing the product that they sold into the economy. So it lowered the pool of goods available to Americans that were from Americans, right? So basically, everybody's source of income, absent a few big companies who, you know, paid for their privilege, basically everybody had to shut down, right? And uh, their income was no more. But they still needed, they still need to live, Right? The new spending was to be provided by or subsidized by the Federal Reserve. They supplied the money for businesses 
individuals and the government. Four point five trillions of dollars was the order uh, that was, you know, obliged by the Fed. And of course, that was the order for for just for 2020. Right. Only 2020, the Fed received an order for four point five trillions of dollars and the Fed, you know, stumped up the cash. No problem. Right. So still being in March, the stock market was reinflated. Uh, overnight back to record highs in terms of dollars, right? Now, uh, in terms of real money, in terms of gold, it's a bit different. But the stock market was reinflated in terms of the dollars that the Fed was printing up, right? Now, with that context and the knowledge that the stock market readjusting without the government disrupting it, is the capital markets allocating previously misallocated resources to more productive ends, we are aware that the bubble is inherent to a bust, right? And that the bust is the solution to the bubble, right? The bust is the market mechanism of supply and demand reallocating resources to a productive, profitable enterprise. So the actual issue isn't the market crash. It's the money printing that fuels the boom period that's the issue, right? Because in order for the crash to even happen, that boom must incur, that boom must occur, right? The, that money printing must be there to fuel this phony boom, right? So the crash isn't the problem. The crash is the solution. The last three crashes that we've had, <clears throat> We have just perpetuated the issue that caused them in the first place. Therefore, every following crash is always progressively getting worse, right? Now, now I went a bit off script there, but that is exactly what's happening. So having laid all this out, it is safe for me to say, I think, that in 2018 and 2020, the Fed did the opposite of what they should have done now and the federal government as well but the fed most importantly because they are an independent entity and retain free will when it comes to their decisions um so but yeah it's safe for me to say that 2018 2020 the fed did the opposite of what they should have done and it perpetuated the boom they did the same in 2008 and 2012 and plenty of times before that but in recent history, it is clear to see that the issue has been bad and it's been getting worse. This is what's going on. The economy is suffering at the expense of the stock market. Or I should say the stock market is benefiting at the expense of the real economy, right? Now, and in order for one to get better, the other has to get worse. There's no way around it. Here are the options the Fed has. They can lower the tide of inflation, raise interest rates, and watch as the bad companies go bust. Right? And government must reduce its budget in that case as well, which would certainly help the uh, the private economy, seeing as it doesn't have to pay for all of its expenses and government. It would have to pay for much smaller government expenses, which would free up more capital for their own enterprises. Right? So... Uh, you know, they can do that or they can continue to subsidize government through inflation. 
They can allow failing business ventures or incompetent people to stay operating, squandering, and allowing the people of the United States to pay the ultimate price when our need to export dollars and import goods is not matched by foreign nations need to import dollars and export their goods. And ultimately, that is the end game because we have perpetuated this misallocation of resources in our own country for so long that we actually need to bring in other people's resources to supplement our own consumption, right? Uh, one of the things that I have written down here is the trade deficit shows that we needed to export trillions of dollars just to sustain our consumption on a nationwide basis. In other words, the misallocation of resources is so severe that as a country, we can't find a way to be self-sufficient. Now, putting it like that, it evidences that in order for our country to sustain its current level of prosperity, which isn't even very high, we have to ask other countries to send us their tangible goods in return for our useless dollars because you know, the dollar isn't worth as much as the goods that they're sending us. They actually have a use. Like the dollar doesn't have a use. So what I was saying was, you know, the real crash isn't going to come when the Fed stops or starts doing the right thing. The real crash isn't going to, it's not going to come because our own government, uh, you know, starts doing the right thing and starts being conservative. It's not going to come because of that. It's going to be a dollar crash. And that is going to come when we print up so much dollars, when the supply of dollars is so great that it exceeds the demand for dollars. And when that happens, when there is way too many dollars and everybody's got enough dollars and there's no demand for dollars anymore, the dollar is going to become worthless and other countries will stop sending us tangible, costly goods for something that is a piece of paper and is not costly at all to produce, you know, they're going to wake up and smell the roses. They're going to say, let's just keep these goods and enrich our own people and stop sending the goods over to the United States and, you know, enriching those people when they're just sending us dollars and we're not getting enriched at all. Even if we took those dollars that they sent us and go try to spend them in the United States, they won't buy anything because they're so worthless. So that is the end game. The Federal Reserve is going to do the latter of the two options that I displayed earlier, and our country is in for a world of hurt. And with that being said, everybody, I hope that we enjoyed this episode of the Hard Money with Craig podcast. Um, this episode should display to you the importance of getting yourself into hard money because this soft money that the government can print up out of nowhere is losing its value. You know, the value is falling at a catastrophic rate and you want to get out of it. You want to get into something that is always going to hold its value. And that is hard money. That's gold and silver. Uh, you know, protect yourselves, everybody. I'll see you in the next episode. Have a good day.